So we've got a, um, a nice little pop-up podcast. Uh, wasn't really expecting this last week, but um, we're blessed to have Bishop Mandi Muyambo, uh, United Methodist Bishop in uh, the Congo Central Conference, North Katanga, Tanganyika. Did, do I say that right? Tanganyika. Tang- Tanganyika and Tanzania. That is correct. And it's one of the biggest conferences in the denomination. I mean, just North Katanga alone has over a million members. Um, you preached at Chapwood this morning. You were in town for the Connectional Table, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And I just took a wild hair because we've stayed in touch and become friends and said, hey, uh, you were going to be in Atlanta with some family. And I just said, hey, you know, Houston and Atlanta is real close together. And would you come and preach? And you're willing to do it. And been very blessed this having you um, this weekend and preaching. And we'll share the, the sermon with people and everything. But I thought, man, since you're here, if we could get you to just sit down a little bit and talk about the United Methodist Church. We spent a lot of time last year talking about that. We had you on uh, before and and others. Uh, just for people to know, you were elected in 2017, and you're married with three children, and um, you are now the chair of the connect, the chairperson of the connectional table. You and your wife both went to Africa University, which is a United Methodist school as well. And um, so I'm just really glad that we'll get a chance to to talk about the denomination, where we are now. We haven't talked about it in a while have we jeff we have not it's not it's been a little while so we took a little break we needed some a mental health break for for all of that the bishop's episode was one of our highest viewed and listened to podcasts there you go so you're a celebrity on the podcast (laughs) thank you thank you (laughs) so yeah this morning he shared that he speaks six languages but today he got to speak texan so i tried you did a great job. It was really good. Well, let's uh, let's start uh, with some just good stuff. I was so encouraged today to hear about the work that goes on in the United Methodist Church and our extension and our mission together as a denomination. Just share with folks a little bit about some of the things that are happening in your conference that you're excited about. Yeah. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I think uh, it's a good feeling to be in this podcast present in your studio. <laughs> uh, we are excited about things we are doing right now. Uh, we continue to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, we are very much involved right now in church construction. Uh, uh, I will tell you that on uh, February 19th, I was... Uh, in the Tanganyika area in Manono in Kanteba district where I dedicated a new built church uh, which is going to host about 500 members uh, per Sunday and we have another church that we are building in Kabalo um, even in Kamina where the headquarter of the conference is Kamina First United Methodist Church is building a new sanctuary which is going to host over 2,000 members Wow, and uh, whether in Tanzania or in North Katanga in Tanganyika, so church construction is one. We are also distributing Bibles uh, because some uh, in some district uh, we don't have enough Bibles, so 
through some of our friends and partners, we are distributing Bibles. We are distributing bicycles for pastors. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, because some of our districts are very large, uh, in total I have about 51 districts all combined. Uh, we have uh, begun an initiative to uh, purchase motor, motorbikes for district superintendent. And uh, so far we have uh, bought about 15 of them and they are so excited about using them. We hope to, for every DS, we have at least one motorbike. So on the evangelism, uh, church development side, those are things we are doing. But we are also doing exciting things in health uh, yeah. with the support of Global Ministries and Armcore. Um, as I told you in my last uh, podcast, is we build a church. That's our church growth model. And beside the church, we build a school, we build a health clinic, and then we have a water well, and uh, we also have an agricultural or a farm uh, in order to provide food uh, for our community. And again, uh, some of this partnership is possible, some of this project is possible through some of the initiatives such as the Bishop Yambasu Agricultural Initiative, spearheaded by Global Ministries. Yes. And I'm excited again for the, your church because uh, Chapel Hood is now joining us in supporting ministries in the Maasai community. The Maasai people are indigenous, but they're so much excited about the cross and the flame. Recently, we established the Maasai uh, Missionary District, and the the church is expanding, and we we hope to uh, do some work in social development uh, in terms of building schools, providing water, and also uh, uh, working with them on some um, agricultural project. Most exciting, again, is the, the work around Amcor. Hmm. I was so blessed to witness the sacrifices that you people make here, in your, not only in your local church, but across the U.S. to support the work of Amcor. Uh, the disaster management program is working very well. We, we've just received uh, some funding to, to help refugees in Tanzania. And also we have received in the past uh, uh, funding for to help communities that were affected by the flooding. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll tell you that uh, women are also blessed because they are significant women empower, empowerment programs and youth empowerment programs. So those are the things that we are doing right now and we are very excited about them. Each time I, I do my Episcopal visit, it's just so wonderful to be with those people, worship with them, preach the gospel, but also uh, go and touch and water well and experience uh, the, the hope that we bring to communities by providing them with drinkable water. It, what, what fascinates me is we, we talked about that this morning in church is that, you know, our mentality in America, we think about starting a church, we're really just thinking about the people that meet in the living room or meet in the storefront or, or in a church or build a church. And this holistic model that you all use is such a kingdom of God model 
because it's mind, body, spirit, relationships, it's everything. And it's very Wesleyan, John Wesley, about education and healthcare and children. And um, it's just fascinating to me. It makes sense why, why the church is growing so rapidly because there's such a need and a hunger and a desire. It's just, it's a powerful story. I was struck by um, all the pastors have a bicycle and thanks and they they get like a hundred dollars a month as a pastor or right now most of them are getting about thirty dollars per month and our goal our is goal, to okay. reach one hundred dollars per month and when you think of that 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 in in our context so you give them a bike a hundred dollars a month and a bible and the bible and you say Go share the go, gospel. Go share the gospel. <laughs> go talk about Jesus. That is such a New Testament mm-hmm. model. It's such a Jesus model, right? That's just amazing to me. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I was really touched to in this, the, the Maasai, and I, 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 we're all of us here in America lack understanding. We think we may know. I, I was joking with you this morning that when people say, oh, Bishop Miyambo's here, he's the Bishop of Africa. Some people think Africa's like one country, lots of countries. And even in the Democratic Republic of Congo, I mean, I was looking at it on the map. You could fit multiple states of Texas. That's right. It's huge. It is. And traversing to get places is hard to do. And I mean, you just are in... Um, on the front lines of of how I think the church is supposed to be at work. Sometimes I think we've taken for granted um, when you have lived and when a lot has been given to you, a lot of you and you're blessed with a lot. Sometimes I think you take for granted and you need to be reminded that not everybody has the blessings that you have. You know, as I said this morning, America is blessed uh, to have what you have. Uh, the joy I see, John, is to the transformation that I see. You know, even in some of the most remote villages where I go, the United Methodist Church is bringing hope to to those who were hopeless. Hmm. Uh, I was in Yuzu District a few weeks ago in the Tanganyika area. That's an area that was marred with conflict by the pygmies, between the pygmies and the Bantus. For us to be there and provide uh, humanitarian aid and provide scholarships for nursing school uh, uh, students, that, that alone makes a difference. Yeah. And, um, you know, it takes just little to make a difference. And if you know Congo, you read about the Congo, you realize that uh, we don't have good road infrastructure. So even to get to one place to the other is still a challenge. Um, so that's why whenever from the big cities to those remote areas, the church brings the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Because Christ is the foundation of our faith. Yes, um, and, and then bring God's kingdom in responding to the needs of the people. It's just a wonderful And it's something I think that uh, the church is supposed to be about. We long for the church to be about it. But like in our context in America, you know, the church used to be 
a lot of a safety net and a catch-all and, and and whether we stopped doing it effectively or whether we you know the government took over more of those responsibilities now churches have turned a lot inward uh, all of us you know more about ourselves and the people that are seated in the pews and i think the churches that are going to be successful in making disciples are going to be churches that look at the community that they're in and they're trying to make the kingdom of God a reality, right? The whole person uh, of life and education and welfare and health. I mean, uh, to, to remember everyone, that, everyone that's around you that's marginalized or maybe doesn't have access to a lot of things. It's not just about your faith as far as, I mean, it's important, but it, I know you can take, you can take and give someone a Bible and tell them about Jesus, but if they don't have water to drink. That's right. And and you know, I have to say that the the DNA is still there. I mean, the Wesleyan DNA that we talked about it last time, that personal and social holiness. Mm. That's why I'm so excited about this new uh, paradigm that Bishop uh, Bickerton, the president of the council, provided recently. We just need to revive, renew, and reclaim yeah. who we have always been. And all this work is not happening because of us ourselves. I think uh, you in the U.S., you are joining us. You do that every day. This morning, I witness mm. again um, people offering for the work of Amcor. Yeah, I think we just need to pivot for whatever we've been discussing about and reclaim who we have always been. Uh, renew our commitment to God's mission. Uh, renew our commitment to spiritual renewal. Yeah. Um, and revive our own denomination. Hey, John, let me tell you, the United Methodist Church is a wonderful church. Yeah. It is a wonderful church. And uh, that's why the cross, and, the cross and the flame on the continent of Africa is still very relevant uh, to the people. So if you ask people today to change that sign, people raise questions. That was, why do we have to change? Yeah. Uh, even those who are not United Methodists, they come to us and say, but what, what's going, what's wrong with you? Hmm. What, what do you want to change who you've always been? Because they are always amazed by our openness and us extending grace to those with whom we don't even share the same uh, the same denomination or the same faith. We we believe in bringing God's kingdom to everyone yeah. in the community. And I love this, like when you when you when you build a well, a water well, or a school or a clinic, it's not just for the United Methodist. No, it's 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 for everyone. It's for the community. In the community. Yes. And so then all of a sudden people say, "Oh, he's United Methodist." That's right. You know, and this story of Jesus. <laughs> and what, what one of the things that's so fascinating, I think that's what we've got to get back to is. How do we live the life, the, the model, the life, the healing, the teaching, the words, the actions of Jesus? And when you think about Jesus going around to those who were marginalized or lost or were hungry, fed people who were hungry, he healed people who were broken, he taught people that were on the, the mountainsides. It's exactly what you're doing. These little pockets of the United Methodist Church going out into these communities is just following that model that Jesus, yeah. you know, he was living water, you know, he went to the well. And met and said, you know, I'm living water. Well, now these wells are there. It's just, it, it's just the, the model of Jesus in the New Testament. 
and and you know the as you are talking i'm also reflecting on the the parable of the good samaritan mm. you, you know how many people have been wounded on the road and yet the united methodist church has been picking those wounded people and here i want to talk about wound in all aspect yeah uh literally uh renewing the health taking care of those who are abandoned along the road and i can tell you i mean when you lose a child who died from malaria and because of what the church did and you did you lost and i did i lost a child um and my twin girl i lost her but the other one survived because of the church and she's now almost 20 years old mm. uh, what about the many lives that are being saved through the imaginal malaria program i can tell you not only in congo across africa the church has built massive hospitals and health centers uh, doctors are paid uh, medical practitioners are paid and also malaria drugs are given I mean, what 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 other kingdom do you do you need out of that? And for me, when the mortality rate in Kamina in my community decreases because of the work of the church, mm. then it, it it brings me an understanding of what resurrection means. And this this is a big thing. I think you know you and I have talked a lot about unity in yes. the church, and. You know, I, I'm a conservative. I don't like these labels, but it helps people. And I'm a traditionalist. And I've said that from the very beginning. And, but, and so people say, well, why would you stay in the Methodist church if they're going to change this or if someday they do or if they ever do or whenever that happens? And I, I look at it and I go, first off, I believe in unity. That's right. right. I believe in the body of Christ. And I believe also that when you look at a disagreement over interpretation of Scripture or a practice, right, that... Um, we may not see eye to eye on, but then I'm looking, okay, am I going to walk away from all of this you're talking about? The, the world being impacted every day at a huge level, lives being saved, people knowing, learning about Jesus, uh, children educated, all this. This is all stuff coming from the denomination, and we're a part of that. We're all a part of that. And I'm that's the part of me I'm just like I would rather stay and be a part of something that is making a, a profound difference in the world but also theologically because of unity and so let's shift a little bit in, in talking about the United Methodist Church Africa is very traditional and mm-hmm. in, in conservative in yes. theology yes. and understanding of marriage yes and yet um, early on in the process, when I was in conversations with some of the folks who wanted to split the church and leave, uh, they said, well, Africa's going to go with us when we split and leave the United Methodist Church because they're traditional and we want a more traditional or whatever, put in the fill in the blank. I'm, I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth, but they just assumed Africa's going with us. I remember being in a meeting uh, years ago and it's like, oh, Africa's going with us. Well, there were no Africans in the room. <laughs> well, but they just assume it's like they're going. To, well, you know, they're going. Well, because we're a traditional. Well, I think the perception has been that nobody can have that in sense of entitlement and say that they own Africans. Hmm. 
you know, I recall the name of great, great, this great African theologian, John Beatty, who is now late. He actually says that Africans are religious by nature. So Africans knew God even before the coming of the missionaries. Yeah. So believing in God, I will argue, is part of has been part of our DNA. Maybe we had a different name of God. I mean, I can tell you that in our languages, God has several names, and those names are subsequent to some of the experiences that we we have had with God in our struggle. Hmm. You know, whenever we lacked food, He He fed us. Whenever we lacked health, He healed us. Hmm. And whenever we went at war, He He fought for us. So we we have given him those attributes. So I hate to say that no one can have that sense of entitlement of owning Africans. I think Africans are mature. Africans are able to decide for themselves what is good for themselves. Yeah. And I will argue that Africans know that the United Methodist Church has been a blessing to them and will continue to be a blessing for them. So why do people try to synthesize it down to, you know, this is what we Americans do. It's this one issue, right? It's about marriage, same-sex marriage. That's, that's like the one thing. Well, then that didn't gain as much traction. So then they, it became about, well, United Methodists don't believe in Jesus, and we don't believe in the Bible. We're going to change the Bible. We don't believe in virgin birth. We don't believe in the creeds, which is a bunch of hooey. That's a nice way to say it. It's just, it's ludicrous. And when people talk about misinformation or mischaracterization or, or just straight out lies, um, they've, they've said lies about, I mean, there, there have been things said about you and other bishops in Africa. Because once, once you all said, we're remaining with the United Methodist Church, then all of a sudden you, you became a target. That's right. The bishops in Africa. Well, that's, so that's the right. Africans who were going to be uh, on, they were going with us, of course. Now they're not. Well, that's because there's a certain number of Africans who are, I don't know, you tell me, institutionalists. They're only in it for the money, blah, 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 which is just so insulting at, at, at a really, really arrogant level. You know, you say something about our culture. Across Africa, our cultures do not allow same-sex marriage. Mm -hmm. In fact, for us, marriage, before even getting into the Bible, marriage is first and foremost a traditional cultural practice. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to go and marry traditionally. When I mean traditionally, I mean in with our own cultural rituals yeah. before even going to the church. So if there's not been any traditional marriage in the real sense, Culturally, any uh, religious marriage or civil marriage you'll do afterward, it can be void. Really? So you don't just show up at the church and say, no. hey, I want to get married? As part of our liturgy, we require that an individual or two individuals first marry traditionally. It means they follow the cultural norms and values of any specific tribe on the continent. It is only then that they can go and marry in the church and then marry uh, in the court of law or 
in front of a marriage officer. So I do not see any African church, I mean United Methodist Church, that is going to bless same-sex marriage. It is against our own cultural values. So which is to say, bringing this debate to Africans, like somebody was telling me, Oh, tell us your position. No, I have no position to tell you on this because uh, it is against my cultural values. But at the same time, I know that somewhere else it may be different. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, and um, and and also let's not forget that marriage is not a sacrament in the United Methodist Church. Yeah. It is a social contract. But again, even, you, even if you put the Bible aside, culturally in my tribe, I'm from the Luba people in North Katanga area mm-hmm. where uh, same-sex marriage is not accepted. But e- even if I disagree with somebody, my cultural value of what South African called Ubuntu, I've talked about this, but we yeah. call this Bumuntu, human dignity, we respect the dignity of other people. Yeah. yeah. We don't want people to come and impose on us who we are not, but at the same time, we, we, we cannot be used uh, to be fighting uh, other people who may disagree with us. I, th- I think w- what I found not healthy is some of the groups to use Africans as proxies. Oh, yeah. And, and that's where that's why I struggle. I, I think right now, I mean I was in Nigeria for instance or in my in my in many places in Africa where this thing has turned into some power struggle because one group recruited a, a, an episcopal candidate who did not become bishop and as a sudden is now the person who is being used given money to so that it can create chaos in some of those areas and I can tell you that I'm just young in my episcopacy but I can share with you that some of our predecessors who are now retired who have worked so hard they have sacrificed their lives to out of nothing to build a church, the United Methodist Church, they are so bitter with the way some of our people have been used as proxies and some the way some of our people have been manipulated in order to present the image uh, of Africa, which is not the real one. Yeah, African people are loving, they are hospitable, they are accepting, but African people they believe in, they, they have convictions in what they believe. Yeah, and, every, and everyone does. But it, it, one of the things that's interesting to me, and you're talking about money and influence, a lot of it, this is not like an African movement. This didn't like start and initiate, originate in Africa. I mean, from what I understand, especially in this, in our United Methodist denominational uh, squabble, <laughs> is. This is coming from America. That's right. And this, this is what really troubles me is people coming from the United States to your country, to your conference. Um, and people want to say, well, 
There's no misinformation. There's no um, mischaracterization. We just have a difference of agreement on theology. It's just a difference. So you can't call that misinformation or mischaracterization or deceit or lies. You have experienced that this is more than just a difference of theology. You've, you've seen like real, like you've seen bribery. <laughs> yes. Firsthand. Bribery. Yes. So then we start talking about, and you've seen people working to undermine your ministry. Exactly. And, and which is in the, which is, a, is, a, is a, well, a, in the book of discipline yes, is if, a chargeable offense. If we want to be respectful of the book of discipline, <laughs> I've been consecrated as a bishop of the United Methodist Church to uphold the book of discipline, and I'm committed to doing that. But let's be comprehensive. You cannot, on one hand, you stick on a single issue, but on the other hand, you are undermining Episcopal authority. Mm -hmm. Even if you are American and you are undermining the authority of an African bishop, that's against the book of discipline. And if you're a clergy, then you have to go and rethink about your vows of ordination. You know, I've started doing this practice of whenever I go through the vows of ordination, I realize that clergy are ordained in a sacred trust, mm -hmm. in an order. In order. And it is critical that we keep that order functional. And what I've seen in the last three, four years is a clergy from somewhere in America who invite members from my conference without asking for any permission, somehow creating some rebel groups. And, and I think it is important that people know the truth. I agree. You know, we've been, what we've tried to do here, I've told, told you about this, is like, you know, Bishop Scott Jones was here. Never did I say anything publicly. We, we had disagreements. I spoke those in meetings, but now, you know, less than a week after he retires, he joins the Global Methodist Church. Well, he didn't just like have this awakening three days after he retired. So he was serving as a leader in a denomination that he did not support and did not want to be in. He made decisions of interpretation that were harmful to the United Methodist Church. And so to me, that that's a, a, a huge lack of integrity. Now that's, I'll say that, you don't have to say it. Yeah. I, that's what, that's uh, because I was here. And so now that people are celebrating him at the GMC, there's just a lot of things that, that in my opinion, and again, when he was here, He's my bishop. I'm under his authority. I didn't do anything to undermine him, even though I disagreed with him, and I didn't say anything publicly against him. But he's not in my denomination anymore. He's not my bishop now. And I still will not go say, I'm not going to be mean about it. I'm going to be honest. And I think one of the things that when you were talking about when people say bribes, talk a little bit about like the vaccines after COVID. You know, there was a lot of contra there was a lot yes, of talk that kind of blew yes, up, and they yeah. were they were collecting money yeah. to help delegates get vaccinated so they could come and have general conference and vote for this protocol. 
You know, first of all, the way our church operates is we have got systems, we've got channels, we have got official channels of receiving donation and funding. Mm-hmm. And it has been healthy for us as church leaders in the continent to be accountable. And that's, that's a value which is also expressed in our Wesleyan DNA. Yeah. We, we, we have to be good stewards of our resources. And the ch- general church has set up channels so that you as a bishop, you're also accountable. You're not the one receiving resources. You have a treasury, and then you have an external auditor who comes and do their work. Now, for this vaccination or vaccine initiative, no bishop knew about it. Even those who heard about it, in our normal situation, we know that if there was such a program, it should have gone through the normal channel of the church, like the Imagino Malera program and Armcore and so many things that the church continues to do with transparency and in the open. But in my case, somebody who was not in good standing, who left the church since 1998, he received in his own account over $50,000 to help my delegates get vaccinated. And at that time, even the vaccines were not available. But that money didn't go to buy vaccines. There weren't even vaccines. It did not go to buy a vaccine because the vaccine were not even available. So where did the money go? I'll tell you that some delegates came to me and said, Bishop, I received this money. I just bought bags of cement powder to build my house. <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. And from an ethical perspective, what will you call that? I call it a bribe. That's right. It, and you, uh, you know, the fact that you're not going through the proper channel. That's right. The proper mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we have a, a way that we do it. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, what, what, what would you say if you say, well, we're giving you the money to buy a vaccine. Well, there's no vaccines available. Well, the intent was, okay, uh, we want to help delegates so that they can get uh, uh, vaccines and then they can come to general conference because they could pay. that was a requirement yeah. to get a visa. But the Book of Discipline says we have a commission on the general conference and they're entrusted to do everything around logistics and administration of the general conference. So if the, the general commission on general conference felt that there was need for folks to get vaccinated, they could have used church resources and work with the conference offices and provide those services. But my understanding is the commission has never acted on that. So whatever was done was against uh, our own way of doing. And for me, that's undermining the book of discipline. It's certainly sowing discord. Yes. Which and is I, also... And I cannot good. tell you. I mean, we, 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 we are proud of who we are. We, we, we accept our poverty. But when resources 
go with that type of intentions, then it becomes toxic. I think I've said this before. And that has led us to have less credibility on whatever leadership was out there. So you, what you've experienced is some of these groups, whether it be GMC, Good News, I mean, WCA, whatever, um, e- even Africa Initiative, which at one point was, a, was an arm of, of that group, even within Africa, these groups are not viewed as favorably maybe as some people in America may think. You know, because historically when the African Initiative was created, the, 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 the goal was to build capacity of African delegates so that they can understand the way general conference business goes about. And our predecessors agreed based on that principle. And I can say that in the beginning, they did a good work. People learned how to, the Robert's rule of, uh, of <laughs> how do you call it? Robert's Robert rule of order. order. Yeah. Uh, you know, how to write legislation, procedure, parliamentary yeah, procedures. Yeah. It was good. But then we, the bishops, said, Africa Initiative, we need to give you some guidance. We want you to be organized, have some bylaws, have structure, have a leadership, because we knew that this politics of Caucasus mm-hmm. was very much... Uh, sound here in the US. Yeah, very big thing. In the you US. know, it was a big thing. It was about advocacy. <clears throat> and, and we thought it was a good thing to advocate for legislation that will help advance ministries on the continent of Africa. Mm-hmm. But to our surprise as Episcopal leaders, when we challenged the African Initiative leadership to do those things, one, structure ourselves. Second, have bylaws. We want to see a clear path of transfer of leadership as any other caucuses organized in the U.S. I had a chance to work with caucuses. I know that most caucuses in the U.S. are quite structured. Mm -hmm. But to our surprise, those leaders did not want to listen to us. We questioned where their funding was coming from. They have never told us. We did not know how much money they were receiving. But the only thing we knew was the flying people all over and becoming hostile to the Episcopal leadership. Then we understood that there was a hidden agenda. And that is why the African initiative started losing credibility. And recently, I think in our last uh, recent college meeting in Zimbabwe, after careful conversations, analysis, dialogue, even our most leaning bishops who attended the gathering came to us and say, this is something else. This is no longer working for the interest of African delegates. Even bishops that were somewhat leaning towards the GMC or the WCA or all the, or went to this and experienced this and said, this is not in Africa's best interest. Exactly. They are the ones who came to us 
and told us they said Mm-mm. it wasn't bishops who were like no died in the wall no. umc these were folks who had were been most leading bishops who have come and say this is no longer what it was intended to be and i i challenge you to go and read again that statement yeah which actually says we now understand that the Africa Initiative is no longer working for the better or for the good of the United Methodist Church on the continent of Africa. And let me say this, and I, I think I said it before. I'm not against any WCA member. I think they are wonderful WCA members. They are wonderful GMC members. I, I think people are free to make their choices and go wherever they want. In fact, uh, when it comes to marriage... We do have the same stand, but mm-hmm. I think we disagreed on the way things were, the, the methodology that was used in particular for the continent of Africa. And I cannot say I take WCA, GMC in a blanket. No, I think the leadership brought damage to the continent of Africa. There are so many stories that I can say here, but it is my hope at some point they will repent of some of the wrongdoing they did to the continent. That's sobering. And, um, you know, the big sort of back and forth talk on social media from some of the folks that have disaffiliated is like, we didn't do anything. You know, we, we were above board. We didn't do misinformation. We didn't, you know, it's just discounting some of these things. But, um, you know, there even... <laughs> Even a church I know in Georgia right now sent out to their membership, and and there's a list of things, and it's a template. It's a it's the same. I've seen the same thing in many churches. So somewhere it's being pulled down and it's put up. And it's like, um, you know, if you're remaining United Methodist, you're going to change the Bible and change the articles of religion, and you're not going to believe in the virgin birth, and you're not going to believe in the divinity of Jesus. And I think it went that route because in America, at least, you know, the human sexuality deals we still have people who are well, I, I think most united methodists still are more traditionally leaning uh, traditionals in in the understanding of that but they're also not the kind of people that think the church splits over this issue this that's disagreement right. and that's where i think the misplay is is that i agree that i think most united methodists in the united states are more traditionally uh, leaning in their understanding of marriage but that doesn't mean that they want to leave the United Methodist Church. Very no. similar to yeah. your, in, in Africa, exactly. what, you're, what you're explaining. What exactly. You're and, 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 and you know, connectionalism, I'm referring to one decision of the Judicial Council, I think 1366, which was very um, informative and it was a teaching moment. Connectionalism was part of the fabric of the United Methodist Church. But again, that connectionalism was done within the framework of putting together so many diverse uh, of various contexts. Hmm. I, I think right now, what we need to do is to, again, I said it last time, what is our contextual theology? How can we have a theology that is contextual? I still believe that we, we 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 can have differences uh, 
and and still be one church and i think that's what we have always been maybe yeah. it was underground but now it is coming out and and i think the ecumenical world is teaching us something when you go to the world council of churches for instance you find several denominations but they have got various practices but they still believe in baptism in ministry and the eucharist mm-hmm. you know and i think as united methodists we 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 need to make sure that in as much as we have our differences and our diversity but we we have to remember that there are more than a single issue that make us one so our narrative has to be about less need toward issues that put us together there are so many yeah not and a you, single issue you made that clear this i mean this morning just That's a right. few i think it was very helpful for for some of our folks who still ask questions you know about about what's going on in the denomination and just to see just a small this much of the power of the connection and that we can co- accomplish so much more for christ that's right and the kingdom of god together than splintering off being just my own little church all by myself that's right somewhere yeah. and it's you know and you and i've shared this too i mean united methodist church is not perfect um there are some things that you and i agree that we don't like that's right <laughs> um we 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 look at the election of of bishops in western jurisdiction and we have concerns we're troubled by that you know i mean like look at that i mean i i'm not going to make let you speak on that against the bishop but i mean so it it is that there are things that we look at and we say okay well, you you keep talking about essentials yes the essentials and that's what keeps you at the table and keeps when you look at okay a disagreement on marriage versus the Maasai people or the tribes of Maasai in, in Tanzania now are having water wells and health clinics and schools and a church and they're coming to Christ and I'm like okay I'm putting that on the balance of scales and I'm thinking which one of those am I going to move toward yeah you know what I mean and I told you before that the words liberal progressive center right center left traditionalist compatibilist all those words don't make sense in my in in my context yeah yeah i i, I don't, they don't have, even make sense for a lot of people i, I don't have US. any word uh translation for them in in my native language yeah uh the only thing they want is to be free to pray to worship their god to experience in their own cultural to be the drum and uh but was exporting this thing like okay this is an american disagreement I mean, it, I'm sure it's other places too, but when, when the United States of America, the Supreme Court, you know, legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states, I told you earlier, before I was in Georgia and Texas, it was not an issue because it was against the law. So much like in, in your culture, in my culture, it was just against the law. If you want to be married, that's yeah. okay, whatever, but you can't get married here and I can't do it. Well, now that's changed. And so that's caused a lot of conversation and discussion and it's been even approved again by the government so it's not like it's not going away here yeah. right it's not going away and, it, and, but but i can see how 
now all of a sudden our anger and our frustration over this issue, our cultural stuff going on in the United States of America, we're exporting that into a place that, that doesn't even have the same conversations about these things. The, you know, I want to go back again to renewing, reviving, and reclaiming our identity. Hmm. It is clear that some of these moral issues are also the narrative sometimes becomes political, you know, mm -hmm. we, we, depending on which side you are. So I think our question, I think it's, it's not only the church in America, but all of us as United Methodist Church, or I can even say the church uh, being universal. I think as we face these challenges, we need to reclaim our prophetic role. Hmm. Um, how prophetic are we? Can politicians listen to us? Hmm. And, and I'm talking about not only here, but also in Africa or everywhere. I think the, the challenge we have right now, we need to reclaim our prophetic role. And it seems to me that our prophetic role will help us transcend some of our differences. You know, when I read the gospel, I think the zealots, you know, the zealots who are the nationalists, mm -hmm. for them, they saw in Christ as a natural ally who was coming, coming to help them overthrow he was a means to their end. Exactly. But he he came, he was prophetic. He was talking to the normal people, to those in power, um, even to the Romans. Mm -hmm. And I think his message actually transcend, transcended some of these silos. I think he's, he, he was not as, I think the zealot were disappointed. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, and, and also, uh, you know, I was reflecting on this uh, conversation between Paul and John and Peter and um, James about the Gentiles. They disagreed. Uh, you, you know, the folks in Jerusalem yeah. say, okay, for you to be a Christian, if you are a Gentile, you must be circumcised. Become Jewish. Yeah. But Paul was saying, no. The calling I received, you don't have to be circumcised. But I like the way they dealt with this issue because the, what they realized was Peter, John, and James were good for the Jerusalem church. That was their context. Paul and Barnabas were good for Antioch, Corinth, hmm. uh, Corinth, and all other cities. But surprisingly, what James to James told Paul and said, "Paul, please remember the poor in Jerusalem." Yeah, and that's where the collection of saints started. They started collecting fund to come and help the poor in Jerusalem, even in the middle of of. Uh, the disagreement. Yeah, I, I I heard you say that, and I, I was like, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I 
I've, we've talked about that Council of Jerusalem yes. a lot in this in this some of this disagreement, but that focus on shared mission, even though even though they, they kind of agreed they to disagree, and and, and and I think their journey, you know, there is a point in the Bible where Peter says at some point, well, guys, I now agree with with Paul, even if he he wanted to play it safe because he didn't want to be seen mm -hmm. hanging out with with the Gentiles. But they had shared ministry, and they endorsed Paul's apostleship. Yeah. So it, it is an example to me of, I don't believe, John, that we will have agreement on everything, especially that we are coming from different backgrounds, different cultural contexts. We're always going to have differences. Yeah. But we have to continue to have shared ministry, minister to one another, but at the same time, what about the list of these? There are people in the pews in America who don't know any dime about what goes on at the general church level. No. And the same with our folks in Africa. There are people who don't know anything about what goes on at the general church level. But because of the action of few individuals, they become collateral damages yeah and we talk of you know, whatever most people have create. no idea that when the western jurisdiction which is 250,000 of the 12.8 million united methodists elect uh, an openly gay bishop right it's against church law it goes to the judicial council they say it's an illegal election but the way we're structured is the western jurisdiction has to handle that it is their own decision so you are a bishop in the yes. united methodist church yes. but you don't have the authority because no. of the way we're structured no. to enforce or no. do that so you have to sit there and you can say your piece but you don't have the power to no. change that and neither do i i'm in the south yeah. central jurisdiction yeah. of the united states but our bishops in south central don't have the power to do it i mean so people and but i explained that to someone recently and they had no idea they're like well if they let that happen then it's like well 95 percent of united methodists did not allow that to That's happen right. and some people may be excited that it happened all right and as as think that that ought to be a barrier that's broken down but that's to me that's a different conversation then because then how, how can you enforce other rules that are broken which is to say contexts are different and the western jurisdiction if you live in the united states yeah. you know that california no offense because jeff likes to go to uh Seattle or Portland or wherever it is you go, yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful, but it's a, it is a different world, is it not, Jeff? It is. I mean, it's a different world. And, and I think that's, that is why we, we recognizing those differences, the time has come for us to look at structure differently. This is a good segue, and I'm going to let you talk about this, because I want to be consistent with the time, because you also have a plane to catch. And, and you're going to take, and he's going to take a nap on. I made him work so hard while he's here, but she's going to get a good nap on United uh, on the way back. But I, I will say that um, you are the chairperson now of the connectional table. Again, the vast majority of United Methodists don't have any clue what that is, but it's a very important committee that does a lot of work in between general conferences is around budget, around organization, around implementation. That's right. You're also very tied into what comes next. That's right. 
what's going to happen in the United Methodist Church? How are we going to be structured? How are we going to deal? And there was another group that met this week, and it, the, the, I get the, the name wrong, the Commission on Central Conference? Uh, com, um, Standing Committee on Central Conference Matters. Okay, and they met in Europe while you all were meeting in the in United States in Atlanta, and that's what brought you over here and got you uh, over here to Houston. Talk a little bit about just the meeting that you had last week in Connectional Table, some of the things that you talked about and that happened, and then I want us to talk about what your thoughts are on what comes next, because I think a lot of people would be interested yeah. in your thoughts on that. Well, I think you, 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 you rightly described the role of the Connectional Table. I think it represents the old church, but it, as you said, it articulates, it helps articulates in collaboration with the Council of Bishops some of the missional priorities of the United Methodist Church. It also helps in the uh, budget development mm -hmm. uh, in collaboration with the General Council on Finance and Administration, what is known as GCFNA. Uh, and the, the, especially around uh, discerning how much resources based on the priorities that the church want to focus on how much resources should be given to the program agencies of the church, what we call the World Service Funded mm -hmm. General Agencies, in order to implement the vision of the church uh, across or uh, throughout the world. Uh, but it also goes further in terms of evaluating the effectiveness and efficiency of general agencies. Because mm. if we are entrusted with resources, then we also have to make sure that those resources are used um, efficiently and especially looking at the impact. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think today this connectional table is going to be very critical around the area of impact. Mm -hmm. How much impact is the money of the church doing out there in the world, in our communities, in the local churches, and so forth. Yeah. But if you have a church that is fractured because of this issue, then you can see that the mission of the church is affected. Mm -hmm. You know, Some people will say it is difficult to separate the nature and the mission of the church. That's where we we also began conversation with the Standing Committee on Central Conference Matters because in the past, in, in, in our history, there was no intermediary uh, organization between annual conferences outside the U.S. and the U.S. Church and General Conference, to mm -hmm. be specific. I think at some point, people outside the U.S. felt that it was critical for annual conferences outside the U.S. to collaborate on mission, on evangelism, on education, and several other programs in order to create growth and synergy and excitement in uh, bringing the, the gospel and advancing the work of the United Methodist Church. This is how central conferences came about. Yeah. But more importantly, the general church, when general conference created central conferences, they recognize the peculiarity 
of central conferences because of the specific contextual realities of each country, of each region. It is in that regard that in our current book of discipline, central conferences were given an opportunity to adapt. Hmm. You know, so even if certain laws are enacted by general conference, but central conferences had the opportunity to come and say, that doesn't work for us. Is this going to make sense for us? Or can we tweak it? Hmm. And then they can adapt, of course, except... The United States doesn't get to do yeah. that. But there was a restriction in terms of constitution, article of religion, yeah. even the social principles. The, the essentials. The essentials. Like that you, those, that's, that's, those are restrictive and, and... Exactly. Can't be changed, yeah. And I think the connectional table, by looking at that in balance, then realize that no without even looking at the issue of human sexuality, they say, I think the U.S. has its own issues. I have to be honest with you, when I was a delegate, when you talk about pension, insurance, things that uh, or properties in the U.S., I don't get, I don't understand it. I was a delegate, but it was just passing me like, Stars. It didn't apply. It didn't apply. Yeah. Why am I going to vote for something that does not affect me, which I don't understand? And it's always interesting because the general conference is like 13 days yes. or something. And the vast majority of, of that time is you have half of the delegates, well, 40%, and it, it, it gets more exactly. every year, are from around the world and don't have anything to do with 90% yeah. of what you're talking about there. First of, all, sense. first of all, I I've never been to the U.S. I mean, if I'm a delegate, this is my first time. Mm -hmm. I don't. I speak French or Portuguese. I don't understand English, and I have a cultural shock. The day I land in Portland or in Fort Worth, I start looking at the buildings, and then thirdly, I receive this pile of legislations that are very heavy. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. The American law is very detailed. Yes. And then I find myself, even if you send me the ADCA in advance, but I read, I don't understand some of the things because they don't apply to me you know so the connection at table say what if the u.s was becoming a regional conference so that the u.s can deal with its own issues you know which is to say some of the issues that are specific to the u.s can be forwarded to that region that group. and they will deal with them yes you know uh and then of course the pandemic came general conference did not happen the conversation around the human sexuality continues yeah to divide the u.s certain central conference members also said we have never written anything about the future of our church If in the past we were considered as mission point, now we are no longer mission. We are now a strong church. In fact, the membership is moving toward us and we are having significant power in decision-making at General Conference. And they then came up with another legislation. They built on the connectional table legislation of creating a U.S. as one region, they say, okay, that's a good foundation. What if we were to give an opportunity 
to regionalize across the board. Yeah. So that people will feel safe in their own region. And there'll be a sense of, of equality too. Most people don't know about the Methodist Church, even yes. Methodists. Yes. It's an American denomination. It's the government, our polity, our government is just right out of the playbook of the Constitution of the United States. Exactly. Which is not the same governmental system in most parts of the world. Exactly. When you talk about church properties, I mean, uh, it it is consistent with the laws of America. Yes. But when you come to Congo, you go to Tanzania, to Zimbabwe, to Mozambique, we are governed by the law of that specific country. So when you talk about properties, that's why central conferences Right now, we also have our own book of discipline. Now, what the the Christmas Covenant is doing right now is to say, let's create a sense of equity, equality, so that every part of the world can have an opportunity to regionalize. And to be clear, for people who listen, the Christmas Covenant was an idea from people within the central conference. That's right. To bring regionalization and equality. That's so right. that right now, if you think about it, America, United States of America is like this big engine conference. And everywhere else in the in the world is like a junior conference. That's right. And they're under America. That's right. And so what we're talking about is is the central conferences becoming regional conferences. That's right. And the United States becoming a regional conference equal yes. to yes. Africa. Yes. Equal to Europe, equal That's to the right. Philippines, instead of America here and everyone else is the junior partner. Which means that every region can now deal with their own issues based on their own contextual realities. Of course, what puts us together are the essentials. Mm-hmm. What puts us together is mission. And I can foresee a general conference where we go not to fight. That would be great. Where we go to celebrate. Yes the work that is happening across the globe and and having conversations about how we can do that more yes. and expand that yes and so then those contextual disagreements or conversations get fleshed out in those regional in those regions which is a separate meeting yes so you don't have why africa which it, the, the human sexuality marriage it's not even on the radar. No, Why do you is, have to sit there and listen pri- to yes. Americans debate this yes, for three it days? Is, it is not a priority. In some of the countries, it is against the law. Why will I come and spend time in a room to talk about it? I think I have to acknowledge in this country it is legal by the law. Therefore, it is up to the U.S. region to deal with that issue contextually. And, and now... Another thing that I think is interesting because you the connectional table is part of helping to craft and give language to regionalism or regional model, new model. Um, the Christmas Covenant has got people. There were other models before, like a, it was called a one church model or a connectional conference model. And some of these models, people said, well, that just it requires too many constitutional amendments. It's too hard. You can't do it. And so people just kind of gave up. Um, too quickly, I think, on some of those. I, th- I think you're making a very good point. I think we need to change our approach. We need to start from the bottom up. Hmm. It is important that right now we have to acknowledge when we're in different contexts. 
Second, we have disagreement, not only on, on one issue, but on several issues. Yeah. I'll give an example. In conferences in the US, you now do, you ordain somebody either an elder, elder or a deacon. Or a deacon. But in my central conference, we are still doing the two track. You are then as a deacon and then as an elder. Because we felt that it is, it is helpful to us because it gives an opportunity for folks to grow and move from being a deacon to being an elder. And that's the process I went through. Exactly. So we have decided to keep that because the discipline gives us an opportunity to adapt. Mm-hmm. You know. I think we have to do justice to the U.S. as well, is to give them an opportunity to adapt to their own realities. And I can even go further. I think the U.S. has to wrestle. Is the U.S. homogeneous? I would say no. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the U.S., because it is critical that if we talk about the United Methodists as a big tent, traditionalists are there. I mean, I, I'm using the, the U.S. language here. Yeah. Progressives are there, centrists are there, but if there is a way they can live in in diversity, but still in unity, hmm. that is going to be helpful to us. But I want to go back to the initial point. I I refuse for Africans to be used by either centrists or traditionalists in the U.S. or progressives as proxies. Yeah, I don't think that is healthy what we as Africans would like to provide to, as a gift to the denomination, one is our spiritual, our revival, and our commitment to the United Methodist Church and the unity, and our value of human dignity. We may disagree with somebody, but we, we do not demonize that person. We have been taught in our culture that value of respecting one another, loving one another as part of the Ubuntu or the, uh, what I call in my language, Bumuntu, human dignity. It doesn't mean we have differences. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean we have our own issues. Tribalism is an issue where we are. Yeah. We, we are, we are, we are, we are polygamy is an issue. You know, if I were to use the Bible, I mean, uh, can I justify the Bible with polygamy? That's complicated. <laughs> As as a, as a son of uh, a polygamous couple, I'll tell you that's not good, mm-hmm. you know. But that's an issue we're dealing with, and we will deal with it. We are dealing with it in our own context. Yeah, we we have taken our own decision in terms of how we work with those members who come to Christ as polygamous members. So that's the beauty of the Christmas covenant: is that equity? Is that? But again. It should not be about individual bringing a resolution, but it should be about all of us as United Methodist members to say, friends, maybe the structure that we have cannot hold our differences. Yeah, We need something else that can still hold the tensions and we can still be united. We can still have some Peter, some James and John on the side. And Paul. We can have Paul and Barnabas, but at the same time, we can have James saying, hey, you need to raise money for the poor. Yeah. 
So uh, we need to wind this down because we got to get you to the airport here in a little bit. Um, and Jeff needs a nap. <laughs> He's been here since early too. Um, but one of the things we talked about, and I know this is, we all have crystal balls, but there's two things I think people would be really interested in hearing your thoughts since you are involved in all these things and looking at it as an, as a, an African bishop. And the first one is, there's some people who think, okay, in 2024, all the language is going to change like this, and we're going to remove everything restrictive about marriage or and allow same-sex marriage. I don't know that that is going to happen. I don't know that that can happen or should happen until we do this structural stuff, and that may disappoint some people on the left. Um, but it seems like to me that we have to deal with the regional structure or the structure of the denomination first because if we don't and we go straight to this one issue like you said it, it the all of all of this stuff going on shouldn't be about this one issue no. or we're going to be in trouble um because we're just going to keep stumbling over ourselves because your thought is i think that we've talked about this i mean we, we have to really deal with the structure and have some clarity on that first don't you think or am I putting thoughts? No, in I, I think I think you are right. What we have learned in 2016, maybe over, especially 2016, 2019, post 2019, is that we are different. There are differences that cannot be. We cannot convince one another that you are right, we are wrong. <laughs> I think it's a matter of each side conviction. What we need to do now is to say, friends. It is not going to be about we are going to vote to change the language. No, that won't work. It has to be about let's create a structure that will allow those differences. Each one will have to deal with the differences in their own contextual realities. Because honestly, if, if, if you walk in in 2024 and the first thing you do is to try to change the language about marriage, right, or, or say whatever that you, you know again you're dealing with an american contextual That's conversation right. and all the african delegates are going to come in and go we're not we're not we can't do that yeah. i mean we're not voting to approve same-sex marriage because in our that's just not that goes yeah. against you it's not like you're going to come in and go okay we'll give you that one yeah. well i mean i just don't see that happening and so that's why i think it it's sort of arrogant on our part as americans and really doesn't show um an understanding of us being in community together to say that you have to come in and help us sort out our issue <laughs> that's not your issue before we can get to something yeah. else it seems like to me first you have to come up with the structure then the american United Methodists can sit down and figure out, okay, what does it look like for us yeah. to protect traditionalists, That's right. to allow for, um, you know, for churches who, who want to work in their context differently, right. maybe do marriages, do it. You know, there's things we have to talk about yeah. that are not going to have anything to do with you. You might have an opinion on it. Yeah. But and, 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 you know, I always say that legislations will not solve all issues. I think what has happened, we have learned that we cannot legislate everything. Because when we legislate, we hurt other people. Yeah. Uh, you heard me in Dallas. I, I was not, I didn't hide my feelings in in asking for forgiveness because I realized that whenever people legislate what they believe, unwillingly, they hurt other people. 
You know, that's why I'm saying we have to say we can we will, we will never agree on this, but let's create space that will allow those differences and let people deal with whatever issue, not a single issue, yeah. in their own context. That's what I'm trying to say. And and, and it, it really it challenges us to think differently about general conference. You know, I want to go to general conference and come back renewed, revived, <laughs> spiritually, uh, from whatever camp I may be. Yeah. But I want to go to general conference, hug my, my siblings, United Methodists, from California, from South Georgia, from Houston, Texas, uh, sing, worship with them, celebrate the work that we do in mission. I don't want to go there and and be beating each other. Yeah, you know, I, I did text me back again to the Jerusalem Council. How many trips did Paul make to Jerusalem in order to deal with the issue of circumcision? Mm-hmm. I think they're the leaders. They were able to dialogue and provide a pathway. And I think at some point, this mentality of winner takes all, it won't work in a church. No. And that's why I think in the United States, the uh, last thing I'll say is, in the United States, um, I know we there are traditionalists and conservatives who are afraid because of the, the, the volume of coming from people who want that, you know, it's not it's not about people who want to disaffiliate. It's like people who want to disaffiliate who want a lot of other people to disaffiliate who may not want to. So the narrative's got to get ramped up. And and one of the things in America we have to do is is provide comfort and assurance to traditionalists right. that you're not going to you're not going to be forced to do anything outside of your conscience, and your church is not going to be forced to do anything outside of your conscience, and your church is not going to be forced to receive a pastor that doesn't fit with your context. These are all things we know. These are all things that every United Methodist I know right. agrees with and believes in, mm-hmm. whether they are traditional or progressive. I've not met one person, handful, but again, you're talking about a few folks in every in every group. They're going to want to create some type of a structure that says there'll be a way if you feel like you can't be here. That's right. That you'll be able to go. Mm-hmm. All right. There's going to be protection to where you can be in your context. Like you said, we're talking about context of Africa and the United States, but there's context within the United States. Being in Houston, Texas in ministry is different than it's being different. in Lufkin, Texas, which we're in the same conference, mm-hmm. completely different worlds. That's right. Or Longview or Shreveport or Dallas or Fort Worth or South Georgia. I mean, they're different contexts. And so we have to find some way to flexibly double down on the essentials and be solid on the essentials and say where there are some non-essentials that don't have anything to do with our salvation but where are some contextual freedom and i still believe that uh when at some point you know it may be that uh, you know the United Methodist church is going to get to the point to allow churches flexibility on that and i think people are going to be surprised that i still think the vast majority of united methodist churches either won't do a same-sex wedding or they just won't have anybody come to get married who's same sex and all of this is going to be a big kind of like 
you know, we spent all this time and all these years and all this arguing over this stuff. And then when we get to the other side of this thing, we're going to realize this really wasn't that hard to live into. Yeah. We didn't have to make anybody do anything that they didn't want to do. And not no one has to be unfaithful to their identity that they've been. And and that's – I'm more confident in that now than I've ever been before. And I think you are too. I mean, you're – Yes, you're, and I, I'm, I'm more comfortable. And, you know, l- lastly, one thing I would say, John, is this is Christ Church. Hmm. I, I really urge United Methodists rather than focusing too much on 2024 maybe legislations mm-hmm. I think we need to spend time in prayer Amen. pray for our church pray for one another you know when the Bible says to pray for enemies, that's that's extreme. I mean, I don't I don't even think that we are enemies in the United Methodist Church. We are not. We shouldn't be. And yet the Bible asks us to pray for our enemies. Pray for, do good to those exactly. who do evil to you. And and again it goes back to to to, to, to the Wesley's rules. We need to spend time in praying for one another as clergy. We need to create support groups for one another mm-hmm. and seek. You know, I told you last time, revelation is part of the formation of theology. God will show up and he will lead the way. He will show us the way. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I, I trust, I mean, each, each day I wake up there was no single instance where I felt that it was a mistake for me, a United Methodist bishop. I, I, I feel each and every day that I was called to be United Methodist even when there was a storm. Christ is the only one who can calm the storm. I think he is yeah. calming the storm. I agree. You know, again, let's renew, <laughs> revive, and reclaim who we are as United Methodists. That is a good word to stop on. A really good word to stop on. If you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe and like and do all those good things that push up the algorithms. But I just want to thank you so much, not only just being here in the studio with us, but coming to Houston and blessing the folks this morning and just been so good to have you. And I can't wait to get over in your, well, we say in South Georgia, your neck of the woods over there in uh, where you are in thank Congo. I, I'm looking forward to coming and seeing the good work and being there with you. Thank you so much, John, for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. We have this way we end. I say my name, you say your name, and then we sign off. I'm John Stevens. I'm Mande Muyombo. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Have mercy.